Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back, listeners, to our second installment in our Ghostbusters retrospective series. Today we are discussing Ghostbusters 2, or if you want to use the Roman numerals as they did, Ghostbusters II. Hell yeah. <laughs> anyways, anyways, uh, we have the same director back, Ivan Reitman. He came back with this one. Um, I should say that it has been about five years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, about five yeah, years. Yeah, five years, both one. in movie time and in real time. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> well, yes, it is. This movie came out June 9th, another summer release. Yep. Just pretty much around the same time as the other one. We're getting it five years later, and we get a PG again. Yeah, which yeah and that's what makes more, more sense. Last time, last time, it, it probably could have gone for a PG-13 if it were released in the time when PG-13 was a, um, was a thing. But this one very much is sure. pretty PG-ish. It's not very not pushing it like last time. I would say the same thing. And we we essentially get the same cast back for the sequel: Bill Murray, yep. Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Ernie Hudson. I should mention. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention him in the first podcast, but I think I should be forgiven because yeah. he's kind of forgettable. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's back. Even though, honestly, when I saw him in the beginning, I thought they recast him. Really? Simply because he shaved his mustache. And I was like, is this a different person? Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I, I, I thought he was the same guy. But I guess, yeah, he did shave. So there is that. Yeah. Yes, that's kind of funny that just by shaving his mustache, I'm like, they recast him. <laughs> honestly, they... Uh, Rick Moranis is back. One of Alan's favorites. Uh, Annie Potts. Yep. One of my uh, least favorite characters now in all of film cinema is uh, played by Peter McNichol. Just, I hate his character. We're going to talk about it. Despise it. And uh, Wilhelm von Amberg as um, the bad guy. Yes. Whatever his name Not is. Not Zool. Not Zool this time. Uh, vlog or something? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Um, don't even care. Yeah, it's Vigo, I think. That's it. Yep. Uh, don't eat. Uh, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. So, and I'm a little surprised. I'm I'm incredibly surprised actually, uh, because Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis wrote this film. Yeah, they did. They wrote the last one too. Or at least helped write it. Well, yeah, they did a they did an incredible job yeah. writing the last film. I mean, go back and listen to that podcast, and you'll hear how much we enjoyed the writing. But this time, I was shocked, and we'll get into it. Because it is just a weird plot and just the, I don't know, I just feel like a lot of the comedy was gone. Yeah. Just a lot of the writing, it's just gone. I'm like, man, what happened in five years that they just, they didn't get it right. They really missed this, missed it. I don't know. Right. Right. Very surprised. Well, we do have also a pretty, pretty big drop on the IMDb scale. Uh, Ghostbusters, just a reminder, was a 7.8, pretty high for IMDb. And this is the mediocre six point five. Eef, and that's that should tell you something. And yeah, that's kind of a that's kind of a big a big drop. But at the same time, um, I wonder how high that is, just because there are fans of both of just Ghostbusters in general. You know, 
Well, the budget for this movie was a little hard to find. Um, IMDb estimates it around $37 million, so they got a little bigger budget for this movie. Right. But I don't know what went wrong because by all logic, this movie should have been huge. This, like, at the box office. I mean, this should have smashed box office records. It should have grossed much more than the first one because... It's, it's pretty common for the first installment in a series to do well, mm-hmm. and then people are so excited and hyped up for the sequel, even if the sequel is bad, as we saw uh, with the Rambo retrospective. We saw Rambo Part 2 was just a massive box office hit. Oh, yeah. So you would assume that people are going to be you know, super excited. I don't know if this was due to poor marketing. Yeah, it's kind of hard to push out a sequel five years later and still have people excited about it. I don't know if it was marketing. Uh, It's just five years later or, I mean, opening weekend was, it was number one opening weekend at 29 million, which is way higher than um, the opening weekend of the first one, 13 million. But I'm kind of wondering if word of mouth got around where people are like, pass on this, wait till it comes out on VHS so you can rent it. Or this one is, you know, nowhere near the first one. So that's kind of what I'm wondering because the box office numbers, they're kind of confusing. Uh, Domestically, it grossed 112 million. I mean, compared to the first one, the first one grossed, um, just a reminder, $229 million. Right. That's a lot of money, too, both then and now as well. Yeah. So for the foreign market, it actually did a lot better in the foreign market. It grossed $102 million. That's so weird because the last time it grossed, like, what, $30 million in the foreign market? It grossed 53 I believe, okay. in the foreign market. But- uh, the budget was $30 million, but... It still made like, I don't know, like 50 some plus million in the foreign market than the other one did, which is a lot. Right. And essentially, most of his money came from the domestic market, like the, like the biggest chunk and had a little bit from the foreign market. This one is kind of even almost. Sure. And for a worldwide total, 215 million. Hmm. Nowhere near the numbers right now that is still a lot of cash but it's yeah not even close to the original sure for a budget of 37 million and then worldwide of 215 that's great you know but considering the first one domestically it didn't even reach the domestic numbers the worldwide total all when all said and done didn't even reach the domestic numbers of the first one which is then especially when you're adjusting for inflation yeah yeah no yeah it's crazy which technically isn't i don't i don't think it's considered a flop because it made back all of its money and a bunch more but it, no i i guess even by looking at it from today's standards it's not considered a hit either absolutely not it, it we can't really call it a flop yeah but it's it's definitely not a hit like especially comparing it with the first one like we said sequels are supposed to outgross the first right. one but this really didn't do well. Right. And honestly, it didn't really have any competition. Um, this was the only brand new movie for the weekend. Uh, it, interestingly enough, uh, was it's going up against Indiana Jones again. It's kind of funny <laughs> how that worked. That is kind of funny, though, how they both went up against Indiana Jones. 
Right. <laughs> so this this went up against Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, and the Indiana Jones was entering week four, so pretty much a month it had been out. Right. So and it, Indiana Jones, um, I'm pretty sure it came in second. Yeah, it did come in second. Um, so that's pretty good. Yeah. For a movie that's been out for a month and it's coming in second, that should tell you what was going on with that summer weekend. I know Dead Poet Society uh, was third at the box office. Uh, Star Trek V, uh, that was its second week, and it dropped to number four. And this is kind of funny. Ivan, the director of this and the first one, Ivan Reitman, he had another film in theaters at the time. Okay. Twins with uh, Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I have seen. It's It's, I guess, fairly funny. I mean, it's just this horribly terrible, cheesy film. And if I'm not mistaken... I'd be interested if Ivan Reitman is coming back for that because I'm pretty sure there's going to be a new movie. It's going to be like triplets or something, and it's going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito, and Eddie Murphy. Oh, no. So I'm pretty sure if I've been hearing something about that for like the last year or so, I really haven't looked into it at all, but I know that was kind of rumbling there for a while, so that still might be in the works. That's kind of funny because you've got – the 80s with Schwarzenegger, the 90s with DeVito, and then the early 2000s with Eddie Murphy. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of funny. <laughs> that is kind of funny. Well, Twins was had been out for 28 weeks, but it was number 13 at the box office. Well, that's not terrible. So that should tell you something, though, about... I mean, there were some good movies, but like Field of Dreams was out. I told you Dead Poet Society, Indiana Jones. So it was a fairly... Uh, decent summer but this was there was no new movies coming out so it didn't have a whole lot of competition because star trek 5 was a week old and star trek was probably becoming a bit of a tired franchise at that point and not to mention the cast was old i mean the tv series was in the 60s and now we're on the cusp of the 90s right and this is also when uh this is 89 so back to the future part 2 would have been released this year as well Ah. So you have you've got Deadpool Society, Indiana Jones, this Ghostbusters two, Back to the Future Part two. You got some pretty big names in movies here. That's true. Well, Ghostbusters two is the lowest grossing of the series without inflation. Hmm. So, but with inflation, it grossed two hundred fifty three million, making it the second highest grossing. So, of course, nobody's ever going to come near the original Ghostbusters numbers with inflation, mind you, right. of $608 million, Right. Which is insane, just for domestic... These are domestic numbers. With inflation, it's 253 which uh, still is not as much as the uh, worldwide for the original Ghostbusters uh, without inflation, but... But it is interesting. That should tell you something, though, about what we're in store for with the review next week. If with inflation, this technically grossed more. Eh. Yeah. Tells you uh, the box office didn't do too well with the um, with the remake, but we'll get there. Yeah. Right. So I am. I'm not gonna do a plot summary for this movie. How could you? Because I mean, honestly. <laughs> Um, yeah. What is the plot for this movie, anyway? I, I don't know. I, I can conjure together 
plot points, like this guy named Vigo is coming back through a painting and essentially is kind of rehashing the plot from the first one. Um, takes over yeah. the uh, painting instructor. That's Sigourney Weaver's boss, I guess. Um, wants her baby. And then the Ghostbusters stop him. That's really about it. I don't know. And that's... that. I feel like that's a really, really shallow plot. Yeah, it's an incredibly shallow plot. And that's why I'm not going to spend time doing a plot summary because Alan basically surmised it pretty well. Uh, that's why I think we just need to jump in. I guess I have to say spoilers are ahead. If you are still interested in seeing Ghostbusters 2, which is understandable because the first is great, so you would hope the second would be good and right. you would want to continue on with the further adventures. So before we get too much into our thoughts on this movie, there are spoilers ahead. So the movie will be ruined for you. If you still want to see Ghostbusters 2, go ahead and hit pause. Go ahead and rent it, and then you can come back here right. and rant with us. Right. Yes, <laughs> Ghostbusters 2, I got mine off Redbox, so it... I, at least where I was at, it's there. I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's Avery. Yeah, it was there. It wasn't at Family Video. It was at Redbox with the new one. So That is a surprise. That's what I thought, too. Well, listeners, that is shocking. A 1989 movie at Redbox? I've never heard that's of That's what that. I was thinking, too. I was like, that never happens. Usually, you only get movies from the like, past couple months that just came out on DVD and Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's very interesting. Hmm. Well, I listeners, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Um, be careful who you share this with because it's kind of a secret I enjoy. It's not really a secret, but the uh, the local public libraries, at least in my area, have a pretty good selection of movies. You can get a lot of stuff, like a lot of things you would want to get. So I got Ghostbusters 1 and 2. I got the first on Blu-ray, the second on DVD. I got them for 50 I got it for 50 cents total. That's really good. So 25 cents each. That's how much I rented these movies for. Instead of a buck 50 for Redbox, $3. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I had two. I had two movies. So. Uh, that makes sense. Yep. Well, anyways, so that's my little... It's my little secret mm -hmm. I'll let you in on. So that's how I watch this movie. Yeah, see, where I live, our public library is the campus library, and that has zero selection of movies. So there you go. That's just kind of the uh, the, the cons of living in my university. That's, that's very odd. Yeah. I mean, I guess they do, have a, they do have a public library, but I have never heard of it. And we live in a small township, so I wouldn't expect there to be much of a selection anyways sure well let's go ahead and get into it uh the very first shot of the movie surprisingly yeah is a title card that just says five years later yeah right away i was like well, this is kind of interesting but i didn't hold anything against it i was like okay well i guess we'll see what happens but that's kind of strange i guess it makes sense now looking back on it because this movie came out five years after the first one but yeah right i i have an issue with it because I I don't think I've ever seen a movie begin with a black title card with white letters that just says five years later. Right. And normally those kinds of things are a little later into the movie or they're in 
a movie with like a time jump in it i don't know i was like this is really weird i've never yeah. been acquainted with that and you're just i think you're just like putting too much on the viewer instead of like introducing them it's been yes it's been five years instead of like taking the time to kind of like introduce them back into it it's just kind of presupposing okay you know this is picking up five years later right and you kind of have a knowledge of the first one it's pretty sturdy knowledge um i don't know that really surprised yeah me. yeah it definitely kind of leaves it up to the viewer to figure out what's going on because if you haven't seen the original ghostbusters and see this five years later it's gonna be kind of jarring i mean to be fair it does have ghostbusters 2 as the title but still if you don't know the characters beforehand this movie's gonna kind of jar you a little bit it does and i found this to be a very weird opening scene with uh where okay surprise sigourney weaver has a baby and i think we're led to believe it's going to be bill murray's baby and it's it's a really weird carriage chase scene where she calls it a carriage. I call I call those things a stroller. Yeah. Um, in modern terms, but she's like, "Stop that carriage! Stop it! I'm British! Stop the carriage!" But I don't know. I was like, I was like, okay, why is this happening? Is it just because it touched the? It like barely strolled over that goo. It, yeah. It weird. Yeah. Okay. Now the movie does explain this later because they get yeah. this goop. And then they put the goop on the toaster and the toaster starts bouncing. So this is explained later in the movie. But for the opening scene alone, it's in even more jarring than it was with the with the five years later title card. So, yeah, the opening of this movie is, I don't know, it's kind of rocky. Well, I thought the opening of the first one was kind of fun with the books and cards yeah. moving. And then we get this mystery because... You know, there's like the lady screaming and the white light, some scary ghost. And this, it's not really intense. It's just kind of dumb. It's weird. Right. Uh, it, It's a little, um, and it's just like unbelievable that this thing is like perfectly weaving in and out of traffic and knocking everybody over. And it's like, why? What is the point? Right. And it, it does it. kind of explain later that this goop is like the physical manifestation of the emotional state of the city. Evil. We'll get there. Ooh. Um, so, Ooh. but it, I don't know. It, it, its properties are never really fully explained where it makes sense because in some scenes it's messing with like, like in one scene, uh, the three of the Ghostbusters get, uh, get thrown or no, they jump into, well, one of them gets pulled in to this goop and then the other two jump in to save him. Uh, and they start fighting with each other yeah, and stuff so like that. Stupid. And then they take off. And it's like, wait. And one of the other guys is like, wait, take off your shirts. And so he takes off his shirt and they're okay. So it, it's like kind of messing with them. But then you also have physical objects like the toaster or the stroller that are also being affected by this. I don't know. It. I don't know. This movie doesn't really do a good job of explaining things. It kind of just pushes you in and just expects you to figure it out for yourself. And yes, it does explain later on, and we'll we'll get to yeah. that. But like you said, it I feel like it doesn't explain very well in a way because it's like, wait, really? Is that really it? Right? Is that really it? Because that is a little no, it's a lot. It's really cheesy and stupid. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, I've already got a problem with it because I'm assuming I'm a little confused why it's just Dan Aykroyd and Ernie Hudson. But then it's like, oh, they're like birthday party. Yeah. I'm like, oh, crap. This is where we're going with it. This is what this movie is going to be. Yeah. 
And honestly, uh, I hate this kind of stuff. Honestly, I thought this was actually kind of funny at first. Because, I mean, if, when I first watched it, I was like, "Nah, it's stupid." But then I started thinking about it. I was like, "Well, that actually kind of is kind of funny because they have walked, they've run out of a job at this point, and there are basically no ghosts left for them to bust, essentially. And so they're they they become entertainers at birthday parties. I found that to be hilarious. Um, not nearly as smart or as funny as the original, but I just found it just to be kind of funny how they how they were on top of the world five years before, and now they're just kind of entertainers. Although, why would they have Dan Aykroyd and uh, Ernie Hudson and not Bill Murray in this opening scene? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like I said, it's really weird because the black guy is pretty underutilized in this, and I do feel he is underutilized. Well, underutilized in the last movie and underutilized in this oh, movie. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of like, hey, he's still here. He's still important, I guess. But yeah, I agree. It's like, this is a weird duo. And there's there's also some like communication issues later in the movie that I'm like, okay, why is... Um, his name is Winston in the movie. I'm like, why is Winston not a part of this discussion? I know. What's going on? I'm like, where did he go? I know. There, there's a whole what? chunk of the movie where he's just disappeared. <laughs> I know. And there's no one no one says anything about it. No one ever he's never shown on screen for a good almost hour, I think. He's just yeah. disappeared and he just shows up at the very end. Yeah. <laughs> the the only thing that like redeemed this birthday party scene for me is they the kid wanted it to be He-Man. Yeah, that was pretty funny. And I thought that was really funny and we get the introduction of this kid where he's like, my dad says you guys are fakes. And we get this a lot throughout the movie that they're just like shams. Yeah. And I'm like, what? That is literally impossible to prove. Right. We have documented evidence of them saving the city from ghosts. Like, it's totally legit and verifiable. But this whole movie is, you know, like the Ghostbusters are just this myth now and it's all fake. And I really didn't understand that. But I did like when the kids... They're like, who are you going to call? And all the kids are like, He-Man. Yeah. And it kinda, I think this movie also is kind of self-referential. Or just being like, oh yeah, we're not as cool as we were back five years ago. He-Man kind of took over. That's actually a really good point. I kind of get that sense of it, that it's kind of like poking fun at itself. But that doesn't that doesn't exactly mean that it's going to be a good movie. I, think it's, I do think it is funny that they're kind of poking fun at themselves. But getting yeah, to that, I could have more grace for yeah, it. Yeah, but getting to that point, it. it's you're pulling some strings here, and you've got to get past the carriage scene, and and all sorts of stuff. So I mean, it is funny. I'll, I'll give it that. There there are still some funny things in this movie, but never near the level of the first one. And something that really kind of frustrated me is we learned that they got sued by like all of the counties in New York or something. Right. They, right. they basically got sued and it ran out of business. And I'm like, okay, that totally just ruins the end of the first movie. Because there's this massive celebration. You know, the Ghostbusters are the heroes of the unlikely heroes of New York and possibly the world, you know. And then it's like they got sued. And I'm like, what? It, I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know. That just, it really kind of ruined the celebration for me because I'm like, this is supposed to be like a comedy that doesn't take itself very seriously. Right. But now it's like being taking itself very seriously. Like, oh, we got sued and there's all these legal ramifications. Where in the first one, they're like, forget the EPA and whatever. And I don't know. I just, I feel like it kind of stole some of the victory and momentum that 
uh, writing off of the first one. Right, right. Like I said earlier, there are some jokes as we that I think do kind of work. For instance, when we are first introduced to Egon in this movie for the first time, he says that he's checking if the human emotion changes things of the physical environment. And we see that he has a couple that came in for marriage counseling in this like test room. And he said that he's mm-hmm. slowly raising the temperature and he's like documenting what they're doing. And <laughs> and you see him like fighting in the background and all sorts of stuff. And then eventually a um, a worker comes in and essentially tells him that there's going to be another half an hour and then they just get even more frustrated. And I did kind of find this scene to be kind of funny just because of how ridiculous it is and how they how the Ghostbusters have fallen from, you know, being so on top of the world in the first one, five years ago to this. <laughs> and Egon, of course, being the smartest one in the group and he's kind of devolved into measuring this kind of stuff. I found it to be kind of funny. But then there are also jokes that just go on way too long and it gets to the point where it's just not funny anymore. And I'll bring one up when we get a little bit later, but the scene when Sigourney Weaver and her baby go into go to stay with Bill Murray in his apartment, there's that scene just goes on way too long. And it's supposed to become uncomfortable almost just because they're trying to be funny, but at the same time they're keeping the joke going on for so long. It, it just almost becomes a mess at some points in the movie. And it's, it kind of is saddening because the first one was just so inventive and smart in its jokes. And this one is not so. Well, speaking of Vankman, I really like what he is doing, though. He has that TV show with those people on there. And he totally makes a joke out of all of it. And that's something that did kind of confuse me with his character. And it's a possible weak character weakness that I did forget to bring up right. in the uh, first review. But it was always like, it seemed like he never believed any paranormal stuff at first. He was just kind of being a con guy, doing lots of silly things to make money. Right. And then, But even then when he did see the ghosts, I'm like, okay, do you actually still believe or are you still still don't believe right i don't know i think eventually he did come to believe but that was like they're like playing with that ambiguity character ambiguity like too much where it kind of confused me but and now i do like it in this how he is like makes a joke out of the esp guy and the ladies like the world's gonna end february 14th 2016 right and I'm like, oh, that was just last year. Right. The, the, the world didn't. Yeah. End, so. <laughs> at first, I didn't really like this opening. I thought it was kind of silly really? at first. With Vinkman? I mean, I, I when I got the joke, I started to like it a lot more. But at first, uh, I was just like, what is this opening with Bill Murray? Why wasn't he in the movie beforehand? But then, of course, I got the joke. And I was like, okay, that is pretty funny. But, yeah, I, I, it still bothers me that Bill Murray was not closer to the opening and that the rest of the Ghostbusters were. And he was just absent up until now. Like, why? Yeah, it normally makes sense to open with your strongest lead. But with this, they're kind of closing the opening sequence with their strongest lead, I guess. I guess it's keeping people in suspense, like, what's happened to Venkman or what's he up to? Right, you yeah, I, I guess I can see that. But yeah, I still kind of have an issue with it. Because the first one, it didn't begin with Bill Murray, but began with uh, the ghost scaring the librarian. And then it went to Bill Murray. And this one, it, sure, and, that, and then we met the Ghostbusters from then on. But this one, he waits till the very last Ghostbuster has been introduced. Then we introduce Bill Murray. It, I don't know. It just seems kind of well, odd. I also got to say this opening is pretty cliche. Yeah. With normally, because we've seen this before where it picks up years later 
and they've all gone their own way. They're all doing way different stuff. They don't talk too much. They see each other once in a while. Right. And normally the the love interests have broken up and they will reunite in the end. But there's like, well, don't you remember? Like, it didn't work out very well between us. And I'm like, okay, this is all pretty cliche storytelling and writing. And it and it's further exploited years later with other movies. Oh, yeah. I don't really, I really don't care for that style of a sequel. Yeah. Where it picks up years later and everybody, you know, is like so different. Everybody's got a new haircut and a new style and... Eh, I, I just it doesn't really work for me and i didn't really like that um bill murray and sigourney's weaver character broke up because i'm like okay why like it's not like we really cared very much anyway to begin with in the first one and now we're just doing this and we're going to make it a whole big thing of them trying to get back together right which we dedicate way much time to in this movie i feel yeah absolutely <sighs> absolutely just, and that's and this is kind of where it becomes frustrating because the first one was just so quirky and made fun of things that are things that are kind of like it it was very sarcastic it was kind of original in its own sense but this one it just falls into basic sequel territory which i find to be kind of disappointing because the first one was just so much fun and so enjoyable and this one Honestly, 15 minutes into this movie, I started to get bored. And it get, takes a lot for me to get bored for a movie. And this one was really kind of it was kind of pushing it for me. I mean, it didn't get to a point where I was like, yeah. okay, I'm going to shut this off. I'm done with it. It didn't get to that point. But I was no. just not having as much fun as I was in the first one. And that's kind of one of the big issues that it kind of, like I said, goes into sequel cliche territory. Like, like it kind of just ran out of ideas. And... I don't know. It, it was just disappointing, to be honest with you. Sure. And I was I was also... The plot really revolves... The, the baby is kind of the MacGuffin of this plot. Yeah. And there's just way too much dedicated to the baby. And it makes no sense at all. And we're going to talk about it in the very end. Yeah. It makes no sense. And it's just so dumb because she thinks like something paranormal is wrong with her baby... Clearly not. Clearly it's not. Okay. Right. I just thought that was dumb. And I was kind of actually, okay, I thought it was really funny when Bill Murray's character said, um, I'm no, I know I'm asking for the big hurt, but I'll give us one more chance. <laughs> that was yeah. funny. Okay. But then I'm immediately turned against him when he starts rubbing it in her face about her husband leaving her. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's kind of low, actually. That's, that's. No, 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 no. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, they're frustrated. Me. Yeah, and I, speaking of Bill Murray, I think his character has changed just a bit too much from the last movie to this movie. Sure. Because, yes. It's almost too over the top. Yeah, now. that's, yeah, exactly. And the original, now usually when you have a sequel, you want to, like, move your character or characters into deeper places and explore their, essentially, character more and in a deeper sense and get them to be more developed and learn something new. And this one, it feels like we skipped a movie. Like, there should have been one in between Ghostbusters 1 and 2, like Ghostbusters 1 and a half, where we got to see Vinkman's character move from point A from the end of the first one to point B, beginning of this one. Because I feel like, for me at least, it he changed. Just, I wasn't able to relate with him like I was in the last one because he was just so it was diff, more different than he probably should have been. 
Because in, in yeah. this one, like you said, he's kind of just a little bit more crude. And now, of course, him and Dana broke up and all sorts of stuff. And it didn't feel natural for a sequel for me. It doesn't. And the other problem is, is they're really trying to set us up that we care that they broke up and all this stuff and they try to explain a lot of it through exposition of why certain things happened and yeah i'm like okay i really don't care this much like okay great they kissed in the end i'm like yeah fun but then they're like oh it's this big thing that's gonna like big plot element of the movie right i don't care that much i really don't care about them getting together and yeah yeah, they do spend a lot of time, more time than they should on this relationship. When, it honestly, if they would have kept them together, I feel like this movie would have been 50 minutes. Sure, and um, kind of like you said, we're, I don't know, roughly 15, 20 minutes into the movie. Yeah. And I put in my note, the jokes are falling flat. Yeah. The jokes are really falling flat for me. The The, the humor's gone. It's... Ugh. Right, and there are some funny jokes still here. One of them that I wrote down here is, um, I think Vapen says this, but he's talking, I think, to Egon, and he says, I bet no, I bet women really like you for your large cranium of yours, and Egon responds with, no, they're jealous of my epididymis. Yeah. And it's just, a, it's just a science joke, but it's just, okay, that's that's kind of funny. But then... Like I said before, some of the jokes are just stretched out way too long, and it becomes not funny anymore. And they just kind of fall flat after that because the the, the movie thinks, "Oh yeah, this is funny," and then pulls it on just to, you know make you laugh some more because of the joke, and then it falls flat because you pulled it way too far, farther than farther than it needed to go. I agree, and I find one of the most unfunny characters in cinema history probably is this like museum curator guy who is in charge of the paintings who yeah has the hots for sigourney weaver his accent is so stupid it's not even funny i just hated it and it just grated on my nerves and i was really ticked off to find out that when this painting is coming to life or whatever that this guy this really annoying guy is going to be the vessel for it he's going to be essentially the main antagonist of the movie i'm like right. you got to be kidding me i'm like I'm already not on board with this movie. This is really making me want to jump ship. Yeah, he's essentially taken the place of Dana's character when she was possessed in the last one. And my other problem with it is I can never understand what this guy's saying. And then when the painting is talking, I couldn't understand that either. So I, I pretty much missed the whole setup of that. Yeah. Now, one thing I also, speaking of that scene and every subsequent scene after that, Vigo's face when he's in the painting, the audio does not match up with what he's saying all the time <laughs> because it's a little bit off from his, from his lips and it's very noticeable. Mm -hmm. You can tell that there was some ADR going on there, but yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of got this scene, but it wasn't really anything. Essentially he's coming back for some reason. It, it's really dumb. It's just like the further adventures of, the Ghostbusters and they're they're like felt like a point to the other one because it was tied to the building where this girl lived who they met and then there's some chemistry and it was also it, it kind of made a little more sense and they tied it into Revelation like all the ghosts are coming back it's the end of the world it was meant to be this way with Zool so it felt a little more epic where this is just like some silly you know story of the week adventure 
I also kind of want to ask, like, where are the ghosts in this movie? Because exactly. we have Vigo, and then we also get back the green ghost from the, from the original, and a couple of others. But that's it. There are no ghosts in this movie, and this movie is called The Ghostbusters. Right. Like, what happened between the two movies? I get it, though. The Ghostbusters have kind of ran out of business and all sorts of stuff. But in that sense, what is even the point of making this movie if there is nothing left to make of it? Because at this point, it's like they're just kind of phoning it in, phoning in the plot and everything. And we have Vigo, yes. And we have the Green Ghost, which I don't know why was out out running around anyways, but it's there. I think we have one or two more others that just kind of show up. But... Other than that, it's about this pink goo underneath the city and the city giving off negative vibes, which causes the pink goo and causes Vigo to come back. (sighs) I I don't really understand the correlation between Vigo and the goo, though. What I understood it as is a theme of the that history is going to repeat itself. And Vigo was explained to be this guy who existed a long time ago. And then he needed to come back because his soul or ghost or whatever was not settled. And so he came back to finish what he had started. And so, and because of that, because of the pink goo and the negative, the negative emotional state of the city that kind of caused him to come back. That was why he exists. And I get that because like I said before, we have that theme of history is going to repeat itself with Vigo coming back. But at the same time, do we really need this? Like, honestly, is there really a point for the Ghostbusters to be saying something like this? That's what I want well, to know. And no, absolutely not. And I, I put in my notes. I was like, the first movie did like operate kind of somewhat within common sense, where they're like, no, ghosts aren't real. This paranormal stuff is a hoax. But then we realized that no, it actually is. But right. it still didn't go so far as to, like, defy its own logic, I guess, if that makes sense. Right. Whereas this movie does. And I'm like, this movie just goes, like, full, you know, an extremely goofy movie, essentially. With a lot of the stuff where it's just like, no, we're just going to, like, pander to kids, maybe. Or it's just way too silly. It just yeah, it doesn't take itself seriously enough, which may sound weird. But do you get what I mean? I, yeah, I think, I think what... What you're trying to say, and what I'm, what I, what I'm trying to say too, is that it doesn't develop as a world nearly as well as the original did, and because it doesn't develop that world very well, you don't get this sense. It becomes confusing because things are happening and they don't make sense. But it would make sense if you understood the world, whereas the original it gave it a lot of development. In this one, nah. Right, and the problem is, is that the movie contradicts its own logic, like too much to the point where it's like do you think we're stupid like who are you kidding what is going on because they got to go to court because they like they like dan Aykroyd hit like one like rusty pipe and it literally shut down like the entire new york city oh yeah this scene oh and somehow they're able to drill into the ground i was like this is unbelievable that's what i mean by it's just so goofy now yeah now, that scene with it's them cartoonish. drilling into the ground was kind of funny, how the police officers came by, and they 
they all yes. kind of get in an argument about what they were supposed to do and then he ended up dropping off. That was sure, kind of funny. Yeah, that was funny. But the court scene, oh man, this is where I was, this is where the movie broke me. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> what is happening right now? Why are the Ghostbusters in court? Why is Lewis their attorney? Why, why are we even thing. seeing this scene? Like, okay, it's kind of funny because Lewis is there. And I love Lewis. I'm glad they didn't ruin his character. But at the same time, why does the scene exist? I get it. It kind of goes to show the comeback of the Ghostbusters later on. But at this, but for the first like five, almost ten minutes of the scene, you were literally watching a courtroom drama with the Ghostbusters. What has this movie come to? Was what I was wondering. And it's yeah, like you said, it's not even good either. <laughs> it's just. It's just a courtroom drama, and it's, it makes no sense in this movie, this scene. Oh, it frustrated me, too. <laughs> well, the judge is like an overblown caricature of a real judge. Right. It's, it's so silly, and this is when I'm, I'm frustrated, and I will continually be frustrated by the logic this movie tries to shove at us, is just because the Ghostbusters were sued and went out of business, everybody thinks, like, oh, they're fakes and they're hoax, and the judge is, like, you know, like, really anti- ghostbusters or ghosts right and i put in my notes i was like ghosts were 100 percent proven five years ago judge i'm right. just sick of that because we keep getting that like your frauds your scams I'm just, that that's what i mean by the movie will not stop defying its own logic and shoving that in our face so that really frustrates me and like you said i'm like okay i was really thrown off when we saw lewis come back really thrown off because honestly i thought he was just going to stay in the first movie i didn't think they were going to become best friends with him and right. retain him or on whatever and i'm like i really felt like lewis coming back was unnecessary yeah. i mean say what you will maybe you enjoyed him coming back but honestly i was like okay we're just trying to pull in things from the first one too much like just didn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, I, I agree. Although I love Lewis as a character, I wish he had a purpose to be here. Because in the original, he was kind of silly and kind of quirky, and then he ended up he ended up being the uh, the key master that needed to get to Dana, who was the gatekeeper. And so they kind of took his character to a different level other than just being a funny character, a funny side character, you know. Yeah. In this one, they kind of give him something to do he somehow was an attorney and he ends up becoming an, a ghostbuster at the end but it doesn't do anything i wish i mean i love the guy the guy's a um that guy's a hilarious character but he gives he's not given anything really to do and it's really yeah. saddening well yeah okay let me give a rundown of everything wrong with this scene that really really bugged me it just ticked me off honestly Okay, so I'm frustrated like we just talked about with Bill Murray's character. Right. Because his blasé attitude is taken too far because they are in a serious situation and the judge is like, you each have to pay $25,000 in like five years in prison. Right. Which is crazy. And the whole time Bill Murray is just totally goofing off. Like, I don't give a crap. I don't give a care in the world. You know, I'll go to jail. I'll pay 25000 which he probably doesn't have anyway. And I'm like, okay, <sighs> It's funny in, like, funny situations, but then in, like, these kind of situations, I'm like, okay, you're kind of, like, ruining everyone's life here by sending everybody to jail. I, yeah. It just was crazy, and, like, their sentencing was crazy, 
And then I I did think these ghosts were kind of cool, even though I didn't understand why they looked like we've got like not really ghosts, but they're mostly monsters kind of right back in this movie. Right. I thought those were kind of cool. Um, the whole situation with the judge was stupid. Right. Okay. And here's where the black guy disappears. We see him in the courtroom. And then when they all fire their stuff up, he's gone. He is literally gone. I <laughs> didn't I'm like, actually did notice that. You're right. I, I forgot he even showed up at the courtroom. He was there with them, like, the whole beginning. And then all of a sudden the ghosts come. And then they all fight it. And he's gone. And I'm like, what? And then he doesn't come back for, like, quite a while. Yeah, he's, he disappears. Okay. And the other, this is maybe the last problem I have with it. I don't know. Did they just forget how to defeat ghosts? I... Has it been that long? Because they, like, think they shoot it, and then they all look at each other and, like, start laughing. They're like, ha, 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 we did it. Yeah, we did it. And then they're like, oh, and then it comes back. Like, we know that's not how it works. Like, I thought that was ridiculous. Right. And when the ghost busted out, Dan Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd's character was like, wow, cool. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, it, this scene is has so many things wrong with it. It, 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 it does. It's horrible. And they also, I didn't write it down, but they also came up with the new like catchphrase at the end of this. They did? I, I didn't write it down, but it is. They like say something like, ha, 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 and then like high five or whatever. Oh, like, right. Since right. when did they just come up with this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do agree, though. This scene is not, not good. It's supposed to symbolize the return of the Ghostbusters. But instead, it's intercut with a courtroom drama and then ghosts breaking out for no reason at all, really. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, okay, this one thing happens and then the Ghostbusters are back on top of the world just like that. Right. Back in business. Everything's good to go. And I'm like, what? Right. Why? How? What? Right. And I'm, I can maybe stretch it and say that it fits in the theme of history repeating itself, but it doesn't really work, though. And yeah, th- this I can I can I can try my hardest <laughs> to get you to maybe understand a couple more things in the scene, but I have I feel the exact same way. This scene is not <laughs> good. It's so not good. No. Yeah. Well, and I'm just I'm just bugged that the Ghostbusters are back on top like that, and I'm like, it it's just right. it's such a flaw in plot and. If I'm not mistaken, is this the montage scene? Yes, this the montage it scene. It goes on way too long. Not only way too long, but the new theme song is terrible. Oh yeah, it is a it is gross hip hop, oh. and I'm, I put in my notes. I said I hate it when these older movies use trends that are only germane to that decade, so it doesn't hold well into the future. And I'm like, it dates the movie in a not good way, and I just hate that. That's like. Okay, you know, like when we did Zelda, there was the Mario Brothers rap at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Ninja Turtle rap, all that, all that crap from the '80s was like so invested in this like nasty hip hop rap, mm-hmm. where it's just like, yeah. Okay, next year, next decade, you're gonna realize how horrible this is. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally. It's ridiculous. fine for the time, but when it comes to looking back on it, it does not hold up. This, yeah, same with this. It's, it's. It's bad. The first song was the first one in its montage sequence when it played the entire Ghostbusters theme song was just so catchy. It 
And it's because it was so catchy, it kind of made itself, it made it engraved itself into the American culture and of, of just knowing that catchphrase of who you're going to call Ghostbusters, you know. This one, yeah. I don't know why they thought it was a good idea to make it a rap. It does, doesn't it doesn't even fit the style of the movie anyways. Yeah, this this montage scene. Oh yeah, they Winston's back here too for some of for some of this, but as well. I guess. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I wrote it down that he came back, well, but it doesn't help anything. Huh. Okay, well, but the other problem I have is right after this, I'm like, okay, the story structure of this movie is really poorly done because yeah. they're doing an incredibly poor job of balancing subplots yeah yeah it's just the the movie's really confused on the direction that it wants to go we've got and that's just the problem because this whole vigo thing is supposed to be carrying us throughout the whole movie but it takes forever to establish him as it, it is just such a weak villain it is so horrible it doesn't make any sense and all these other we've got a huge bill murray sigourney weaver subplot um, and then we get a subplot involving um, the character you like. What what's his name? Lewis, Lewis and that lady. Yeah, Lewis and the uh, secretary. Yeah, right. And we got the Vigo and that other and the muse- the museum art guy plot. And then whatever's going on with this pink goo is kind of a subplot in itself. But then we also get kind of divorced from Bill Murray's character for quite a while, yeah. and it's just the three of those Ghostbusters going off and checking out the goo and. But then we also have the antagonistic mayor and his crony who keeps popping up, you know, that evil little hench villain. And the movie just doesn't know where to go or what to do. Eh. Right. And yeah, all these subplots, they don't really tie together in the end either. Like some of them do, but like the Lewis subplot, the Lewis and the secretary subplot goes nowhere. The Sigourney Weaver and Bill Murray subplot kind of goes places but it's too long though it's yeah it just takes so long to get there yeah it's there are just there's so many things in this movie that could have been cut this movie needs to be shaved down it's way it it's paced way too slow and i hate to say that Ugh. because the first one was so fast that i actually had to stop the movie so i could write down notes because jokes just kept coming and they were so funny and it almost had me rolling just because of how funny and fast it was this one is almost the complete opposite yes there are some funny things in it but it's boring and i don't want to say that because this is considered a comedy and how did this happen i don't get it this movie is supposed to be funny i remember i texted you i was halfway through and i was like and I was like, this should, this, I feel like this is supposed to be funny, but it's not. I'm bored. Why am I bored? I shouldn't be. And it's, it's just disappointing, honestly. I wish this movie wasn't like this. I wanted it to be just as funny, if not funnier than the first one, because the first one was sure. just so good and you could go so many places with it. But it, it went to a place that was, I would say it went to a place that it didn't really need to go. It went for a more realistic route when the first one was funny because it was so off the wall. But this one went for, it wanted to ground itself a bit more and it doesn't work. Well, well, but it's very inconsistent on when it wants to ground. Exactly, exactly. Because there are times when it's like, 
what? But then there are times, yeah, where it's trying to be way too serious, and it's tonal. It the tone is very inconsistent. Oh, it is. Uh, and it it just gives a headache. And I'll be honest, I clock watched a lot during this movie. I kept checking the timestamp, and honestly, at this point in my notes that we're talking about, we're not even an hour into it. Yeah. And I put I and this is down the ways a little bit. I said, I'm only in. Well, we are skipping over some things I want to briefly discuss, yeah. but at that point, I said I'm only an hour in, but it feels like two. Yes, that's exactly Ooh. what I was thinking too. My, I was watching it with my brother and my girlfriend, and both, all three of us had seen the original, but when we got done with it, we were just like, wow, that felt like three hours had passed. <laughs> And we, yeah, and all three yeah. of us had watched Blade Runner yes. 2049, and in that podcast, I said that that movie's almost three hours, but it feels like an hour, because it's paced so well. This one is almost the complete opposite of the movie. This movie's an hour and 45 minutes, and it felt like it was three. That's yeah. And for a comedy, that hurts. It, it That is a really big slam. It really hurts. I would say, I don't know, maybe to light, to like make it feel a little better... I think they probably could have shaved around 20 minutes off of this oh, movie. Oh, yeah, easy. Made it more around like an hour and 20 minutes if they're going to go with this kind of plot and this kind of writing. Right. But there's like the subplots are really, that is really what kills the movie because it loses focus of Egon because, or, or Vigo, Vigo or whatever it's called. Yeah, Vigo. It takes way too long to get there and then it's wholly unsatisfying when we do. Yeah. And, I'm like, oh, this movie's really dragging itself out because it just doesn't know what to do. It's just totally filling up its space unnecessarily. Right, and I think also one of the big issues with it, with the pacing, is that I have it in my notes here that it takes way too long for it to set up each scene. And yeah. like I mentioned before, when we have jokes that stretch so long into the scene that it becomes not funny anymore that mm-hmm. becomes an issue. Like, for instance, the scene earlier, a little bit earlier than this, when they get the slime, they get the sample of the slime, you know, and they have it in, like, this giant vial. And it was, the scene starts off kind of funny because they pull in Bill Murray and they say, hey, watch this. And they yell at the slime and the thing like, kind of bubbles up and raises, you know. And so they say, okay, well, that's funny. Let's put it on. Because they find out it, it's charged by emotions, you know. And so right. they put a piece of the slime it, on the toaster and the toaster comes to life, but then it just kept moving on from there. And then Bill Murray is like, you're not sitting with it. Right. And he looks at, I think Egon and he goes, Oh, you hound. And then just, it keeps moving, keep pulling the joke so long. And it's, and it's like, okay, this is funny at first, but now it's just, now it's gone to a place where it's just, it's not funny anymore. This has become boring. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of things that happen that just don't make sense Mm -hmm. where okay like when the fire scene happens when it all catches on fire the photographs yeah the door locks from the outside right why would the why would the door lock from the outside i've never uh, what right that doesn't make any sense and the black guy like the black guy busts in immediately to put the fire out with the fire extinguishers. i'm like that is incredibly convenient there's just doesn't a lot of the stuff doesn't make sense and honestly i just felt like dan Aykroyd is probably the weakest link in this movie acting wise i was very disappointed with his acting i'm like you are really not doing well right yeah it 
Winston has the Winston does is only there when he needs to be, not because he's only there. Actually, why is he? Why is he even in this movie? I okay. I put that right here in my notes. I said honestly, Winston is legitimately pointless. He is inconsistently utilized in this movie. Like right. when they're like, okay, we don't want it to be just Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd. Let's bring in Winston, right? You know, or let's fill up the screen more. <sighs> It just, uh, and that's that's why I thought it was really funny in Stranger Things too, when the the young black kid is like, nobody likes Winston. He came in way too late, and he he's pretty much pointless, and he's not funny. And it's 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 kind of funny too because he's even more pointless in this movie than he was in the last one. Yeah. Oh yeah, and like I said, he's really it's really inconsistent. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like, where did he go? Oh, he's here now. What? He kind of just pops up whenever he wants to. It, uh, yeah, I, I I wish they would have done something with this character because he seemed like a very interesting kind of guy, but it does nothing with him. We know nothing about him. Right. He's just like, I just want money. And they're like, hire him. He's hired. That's all we got from the first one and from this one. Right. And I mean, from the original, it's probably just kind of played for laughs. And it's like, okay, well, that's kind of funny. No, they just kind of hire some guy just because, you know. But in this one, there's nothing. Well, in... Okay, I wanted to just say this real quick because I was a little shocked by it because we're very sensitive about this kind of stuff in today's society, but in the the movie just went for it. When Bill Murray told um, that artist guy, he said, you're not going to get a green card with that attitude. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. oh my goodness. I, there were a couple of jokes in here that I was like, ah. <laughs> yeah, Ooh. I remember that joke. I was writing down notes and I heard it. I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> Right. Yep. Right. Well, okay, coming back to what we just were talking about. Okay, now we get the three of them and we're gr- granted when they're when they're down in that subway, okay? When the three of them are and there's the ghost train yeah. and the heads on pikes in a PG what movie. What was that? I was like, "Whoa, okay, this should have got a PG-13 for that." I feel. Yeah. Like. Well, okay, can we talk uh, about that for a second? What was that? I don't know if we can talk about it cuz I don't understand. Yes, it. true. Yes, that's fair. But yeah, it, it comes. Uh, this movie goes dark. Are these are these Vigo's victims from ancient times? I'm assuming. And why would he be in America, North America? I'm assuming it is Vigo's <laughs> it stuff. I don't know why he's in America, but I'm assuming that it is. And there's a train. Yeah. But they don't look like ghosts. They look they're real. Yeah, I don't know. I think it kind of explains a little bit later, but it does nothing. Uh. Essentially, this scene it kind of sets up Vigo. But more sets up the pink goo that happens a bit after this. Right. I don't know. Th- this scene, this movie goes really dark for just a brief moment when they had all the heads on stakes. Yeah, that was bizarre. Well, like we said, this movie has weird tonal problems. It does. Where it's like, it really does. It. We go from the romance, and I'm like, I, I, oh my gosh, stop shoving this romance in my face. I don't care at all. Right. And we go from heads on pikes to goofy sludge and silly things and i honestly i hate the soundtrack of this movie oh my gosh Um, just that light little airy like it's just and it's so inconsistent then we get that nasty rap and oh okay i'm getting (laughs) working i put in my notes that the soundtrack is the icing on the cake of a cliche sequel yeah absolutely and we are an hour in we're an hour in 
Exactly. And the original soundtrack from the first one was done by Elmer Bernstein. And he's a pretty big name, mm-hmm. but this one, I don't, even know if, I don't know if it's done by the same guy, but it it's nothing special. In fact, it's actually kind of annoying by how unspecial it is. Yeah. Well, okay. And kind of jumping back to the heads on the pike scene, why don't why don't they have their uh, proton packs with them? I don't know. And they call that out. They're like, wait, should we go back and get them? I'm like, why don't you have them in the first place? Why do you look like these silly, you know, raincoat galosh miners or whatever? And right. I, I just had know. a lot of issues with that scene. And I don't know. But then we also cut back. Like I said, this movie's trying to juggle like three different subplots or four actually at the same time. Right. Because then we cut back to the babysitting scene between the secretary and Lewis. Right. And I'm like, we're, I put in my notes, we're exploring characters I never really cared to explore in this way. Right. We're exploring characters that do nothing. Right. It It, it is pointless. It is. And and I should point out, Lewis can't even say Mario, right? He says Super Mario Brothers. Right. And I thought that was funny. Yeah. And I love Lewis's character. I said, and I've said this before, I just wish they gave him something to do. And especially the secretary. I wish, because I... Cause, if you've seen UHF, that accent is very, very, reminds me very much of that movie, her accent. But I just wish they had something to do. There's nothing. There's nothing here for them. It, it sets up the romance form, but that, that goes nowhere. So, I mean, what was the point anyways? And then I have a really big issue. Okay, after they go down in, they just jump in the sludge and I'm like, that's extremely dangerous. Like you don't know what, how that's gonna what that's gonna do to you. But they make a really big goofy thing of like diving into it. Yeah. Okay. Here's here's like an incredibly big plot hole, like huge plot hole that I was like, what did they just do? Right. Okay. They did not know where Vankman and Sigourney Weaver were going to be at dinner. That's true. Yeah. How did they know how to find them at dinner? Okay. That's that's the first plot hole. They had no way of knowing where they were going to right. dinner. They didn't tell them. Okay. The second plot hole is they get arrested and then they're taken to the mayor's ballroom party or whatever. And I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. This doesn't make any sense. Uh, Okay. It doesn't make any sense. They're arrested and taken to the mayor's party. And I think what they're really trying to do is instead of explaining like how they even got to do that. They're just trying to crunch this this plot point together and just like move it along really quick and hope you don't yeah. notice. But I'm like, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. I I don't know. And they get this. They are sent to a psychiatric ward. Yes, I was so ticked off about that because I'm like, they're literally not crazy. It is proven they are. It's legitimate. It's so stupid when that happens. Uh, and... Yeah, this scene when they were sent to the psychiatric ward. That's when like you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, and that's when I said the plot won't stop contradicting itself. It continuously contradicts itself because they're like, oh, they're crazy. And I'm like, it's been proven they're not – that's not crazy. Uh, it, and that's a huge waste of time. It really is. And because then we cut back to them later and they're trying to explain everything to this guy. And I'm like, why do we need this scene? Cut this scene. This is really wasting my time. Yeah, there's no reason for them to be put into this psychiatric ward. It's all it, – it literally does nothing except for just – waste time i mm, yeah this scene really got to me i was just like you gotta be kidding me have we really run out of ideas that we had to put him in a psychiatric ward like really okay well then the next scene really gets to me also 
because for whatever bizarre reason, Sigourney Weaver leaves her baby in a closed room by himself with the window open. Yeah. A, the baby's going to get a cold and get sick from the draft. And I'm like, why? What? It's just laying there on the bed by itself. And it's really stupid because she feels a breeze through that closed window. Right. I'm like, how do you feel a breeze through the the room is closed off? It doesn't make any sense. And then we see the baby standing on the ledge? Yeah. What? I, I don't uh, know. Okay, and this is when the art art guy, Yanoff, he's now become a ghost. And he's like a creepy Mary Poppins cross-dressing flying ghost. And I'm like, what? What? I know. I said, wow, this movie is so bad. I know. This, yeah, when I didn't even know it was him. I wouldn't have never guessed it was him until Sigourney Weaver said that it was him. Yeah. And he, I was like, who is that? And then I was like, are you serious? That's who that is? We never see him transform. He never does it no. ever again. It makes no sense. Okay, remember the scene before where there was the blackout and he wanted to get into her apartment? Yeah. And she's like, no, you're not coming in. And then his lights just turn into flashlights. Yeah. And he just like, and then that's it. There's like nothing to do what, with What was that? <laughs> What, it, what was that? Uh, yeah, it... Well... Mm, I okay, don't know. And, and, then I'm, and then I'm also frustrated because this movie misses an incredible opportunity to call back to a classic horror film of the 50s or whatever. The Blob! Oh. That's an iconic scene in The Blob when people are running out of the theater from The Blob. And guess what? It's not a blob. How do you, it's a ghost. How do you miss you that? You fools. How do you, you miss fools. that? That was oh, that was that would've been really funny. I know. I'm like, "Oh, great. We're getting a blob reference. This is awesome." And then there's a ghost, and I'm like, there was literally blobby goo all over coming out, and I'm like, "How did, how did they miss that? I'm shocked right. they missed right. that." Right. And then okay, Ugh. and then Okay, I have a couple of issues that I, that maybe you can help me answer. Where did the ghosts come from? <laughs> Exactly. That's the whole problem with this because it is a pale, it's a really cheap imitation of the first one. Yeah. But it makes sense in the first one. Right. Because the time is coming for Zool to come about and all the dead are coming back up, but this doesn't make any sense. And there's monsters, like legit giant monsters. And I'm like, right. And at least with the first one, they, they stored the storage where all the ghosts were kept. Uh, was shut off, so they all. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's what happened. That's right. And so that's why they all came back. This one, they just kind of show up, and they start terrorizing the city. But it goes on from there, (laughs) because then a woman's a woman's fur coat comes alive, and the ferrets or whatever the fur coat was made out of. I know. Inconsistent. I know, and (laughs) it comes it comes alive, and she's thrown off her and runs off from it. And the um, physical Titanic ship rises out of the ocean to come to dock at the harbor. And it's the physical ship, but with ghost people. And uh, that actually just ticked me off. I'm like, okay, this is just stupid. I'm like, monsters, Titanic, ferrets? See, I did kind of find that funny. Moral because it was that, of course, history coming to repeat itself. That's not to say it was good. <laughs> yeah. Uh that's that's just a major issue uh well and you know the cliche phrase or it's not a cliche phrase you've heard the phrase like well because plot yep because the movie you know 
And yep. that's it. Because a lot of the stuff is like, wait, why did that happen? It's like, right. Because the plot said so. Like, how did they end up at the mayor's house when they just got arrested? Plot. Right. Why is, why are the ghosts coming back? Plot. Just. Right. Just so they could move it along. To, uh. Right. And notice how we have hardly talked about Vigo as the villain. It, yes, because, and I was so ticked off because I'm like, it takes forever. It's like a slow simmer. And then when we finally get to him at the end, I'm like, this is really unsatisfying. Yeah. With what happens. It just takes forever. And yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It, uh, there is ooh. no development to Vigo at all. Now, to be fair, there wasn't much with Zool either. But it at least explained the backstory and let us into the story of Zool in the first place. So that way, when we had the final battle with Zool, it wasn't, like, in our face. And this one, it it's boring. And it just doesn't, it's not interesting. And whatever themes they try to bring in are, are just fine. They're, they're all right, you know. And it doesn't really work out as well as the first one did. Right. There's a connection with Zool, though. Right. Because we have a reason to care because it's possessed Sigourney Weaver. Exactly, yeah. This gives us no reason to care because some painting came up. Oh, it's the adventure of the week. It's some magician come to life again because, well, I don't know. It doesn't really explain it. And I don't know. And the movie, it just it treats us like we're stupid because it does. They're like, oh, the ghosts are back. And they're like, oh, my gosh, what? I've never seen this before. I'm like, this literally just happened five years ago. It's literally the same thing. Yeah. Again. And everybody's exactly. like, what is going on? But then to make matters even, even worse, they take the pink goo and they cover the Statue of Liberty in it. I didn't understand that until, uh, I, okay, I still don't understand it. Let me. It brought it to life. It literally brought it to life. Yes. Now, let me explain. Now, the pink goo was demonstrated earlier to bring things to life, like the stroller and the toaster, right? Now, what I don't understand is that it was able to bring a statue which, under normal circumstances, maybe shouldn't be able to move like that. But I'll give the movie that. The reason why they brought the statue to life is because the, the essentially attitude of the city had gotten so bad and as turned itself into Gotham City at this point that they needed some positivity because the goo that was covering wherever Vigo was at was so strong that they needed to break the negativity of the city to break in and save the day because they talked about how earlier in the film the goo is pulls off of negative energy, right? And so when they tried to blast their way through, I guess there is negative energy all throughout the city and all this sorts of stuff. And that's why they weren't able to break through. But when they brought Lady Liberty back and they were going and they went all America on it and that somehow got bait rose the spirits of of the city. I don't know about you, but I'm getting some serious elf and dark knight vibes off of this movie right now. <laughs> Yeah. Because uh, Elf, at the very end of Elf, it's all about all oh, the Christmas spirit and everyone has to come together and realize what the Christmas spirit is because it's been lost. And I guess this is a spoiler. If you haven't seen Elf at this point, that's too bad. <laughs> what? <Have you> do- 
<laughs> and then with the dark, and then with the dark night, even the city itself is was constructed in such a way where it feels like a character. And so when the city begins to change in the end, it feels like the feels like the city itself as a character is changing. This movie tried to do that, but it didn't know how to create a character of the city. So in the beginning, we did see people getting mad at each other. And I wrote that down in my notes that people were just kind of mad at each other. But I didn't find that any any different than what you would normally see in a city. And maybe that's what they're going for. Maybe, you know, maybe that's just what they're going for is um, that the city and like maybe everybody is just so negative nowadays that we just need to kind of chill and we can work things out and we can become positive again. Fine. But don't go about it like this. Like, I get it. Living the American dream, Lady Liberty, all that stuff. Fine. Positive vibes. Whatever. But if you're going to do that, make sure you do it in a way that makes sense. Right. Okay. Let's talk about this for a second. Yes. Because the problem with Harold Ramis's exposition, he says that wall or whatever is pulsing with evil. We need a serious amount of positive energy to break through, but I doubt there's enough goodwill in the city. And then, uh, okay, that that's actually terrible, terrible. There's a um, thing called subtlety. There's a thing called subtlety, and the problem Thieves. is... <laughs> okay, but there's no reason for him to come to that conclusion, because there's no reason for us to come to that conclusion. Now, I can actually kind of dispute that a little bit, because they do talk about the goo being the physical manifestation of evil and negativity. No, but when have we seen the city become this like evil city? Yeah, that you're right, and I they do. That's kind what of, I'm saying. That's what I'm trying yeah. to say. In the opening, it shows this, but never to a point it, where it becomes noticeable. That is common. That is a common thing. I know. Okay, that is not that bad. That's that's the biggest problem. That's why it gets so confusing, and I'm like. Ugh. But you don't – we don't see this. And I see everybody trashing on the Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so they don't believe in the Ghostbusters anymore. But then the Ghostbusters don't represent America. So how do you how do you conflate the Statue of Liberty with the Ghostbusters and equate them and say like, oh, we believe in America again? Or what? Yeah, and maybe that's what the movie's trying to say is that we as a human race have kind of devolved into – this becoming a normal thing and then that also being kind of subtle in itself that's awfully generous of you to give the movie that credit i know i know but that's why i'm disputing my i'm even disputing myself for making that statement because what does that have to do with the rest of the movie how do we get to this point other than the goo that that kind of bind somehow binds these two halves of the movie together this feels so out of place it it is out of place. It doesn't make any sense, and I just still don't understand the connection between the goo and Vigo. What does the goo do with him? I he controls it somehow. I don't. Uh, where did it come from? I don't know. Why? But like I said, I need examples. I need to see this city be just totally down. But then the city is positive because the Ghostbusters come back. They they have hope in their city again, and right. That's what I'm saying. It's like. How am I supposed to come to that conclusion when I've never, he's like, he's like, there's not enough goodwill left in the city. And I'm like, 
Well, but I never saw that. I don't know what you're talking right. about. Right, and that's why I was saying earlier, this the city itself needs to be a character like it is in The Dark Knight, where the city and how negative it is, is almost as if, almost as developed as Christian Bale, Batman, or um, even the Joker, where even the ambiguity of what exactly the city is, is still a character in and of itself. That doesn't well, happen. they should have done that. They should have done that instead of giving us these really long subplots. I know. That... It, it really doesn't. It really... It, this ending climax is... Ugh. Well, here's something that doesn't make sense. How did you feel about uh, Lewis being a new Ghostbuster? He already had a suit made up with his name embroidered on it. And I'm like, wait, what? Why? Not only was this not set up at all, but it right. serves no purpose... Just like Lewis's character. Exactly. Exactly. And because he really does nothing to help them at all. Right. It is kind of played for laughs when they when the barrier yeah. is broken, but it's not even really all that funny. It's not funny at all. Um, and I would say that the Statue of Liberty effect actually looks pretty good. Yeah, it in does. In the movie, that's like the only time it does. Um, I gotta say, I do like Lewis's motto, stay fit, keep sharp, make good decisions. I'm like, okay, that's right. That's funny, but what? Right. Okay, why is the green blob driving the bus and he gives Lewis a ride? Played for laughs, I guess. I Oh, okay. I don't know. Here's what I wanted here's what I wanted Sigourney Weaver to say. I wanted to say her line from the ending of Aliens, get away from him, you bleep, you get it? That would have been hilarious. Why didn't yeah. they do that? They missed so many uh. opportunities. That makes me even more frustrated <laughs> that they missed that one. I know. I'm like, I'm waiting story. for it. I'm like, where is it? It's not and they, how could they? Yeah, how could they have missed that from all the pop culture references from the first one too? Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I was like, they they missed all kinds of references in this movie. Um, Goodness. And the other thing that really didn't make sense is how did Vigo take human form? Because he didn't need the baby after all. He took human form. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It uh, Well, okay, so that totally ending. undermines the entire movie because if yeah. he could have taken human form this whole time, why didn't he do it sooner instead of the last 10 minutes? Right. Maybe it was maybe he was going for all the negativity and finally could make himself become physical. Maybe There's nothing to support that, which I know. frustrates I, me. I'm I I understand it on that what one. you're saying. I understand what you're saying, but and I'm sure that's right because, yeah, the goo is, like, surrounding them. But then at the same time, it's like, okay, they should have showed me that yeah, to there, make me understand You're right. That. There was no setup to it. I'm And there was no setup to it, so. Oh, I did think it was funny that the Statue of Liberty fell over. Yeah, that was that was. It's destroyed. Funny. Yep. It's broken. It's done. Yep. Who needs it, though, right? Uh, that I guess that didn't ruin the people's spirits at all. Um, but the other thing that I thought was incredibly stupid was when they all come out and they're all like all the people are singing and they all have like their party hats on and kazoos and it's like they're pretending it's new year yeah because they're singing the new year's eve song like uh, old lang sign right and like what that that makes them happy they're pretending it's new year's with the statue of liberty and is that well, what you got from it okay okay now this movie was centered around new year's what the problem is <laughs> This is not New Year's for New York City. There is there would be a lot more snow for New Year's Day 
in New York City. Right. So, yeah, the movie does, was kind of centered around New Year's and that New Year's Day was when Vika was supposed to come back and reign supreme or whatever he was supposed to do again. I missed that. Yeah, it was very easily missed. I only got it because they briefly mentioned it, but I didn't pick it up until I saw some of the party hats and New Year's Eve thing happening on during the climax. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, okay, so what did you think of Dan Aykroyd being possessed? I don't know. <laughs> well, it didn't make... it. Okay, I, I understand it was alluded to it when he gave that big dumb stare at it when they're analyzing the painting, but then it happened... And I'm like, are you kidding me? And he looks just like the evil, big-headed guy from the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie. You know, I actually did. For, I actually forgot that Dan Aykroyd was possessed, but now I'm remembering it now. Yeah, yeah, because I, okay, I was glad that Vigo was kind of able to like shock them and paralyze them in a very Star Wars right, way. Right. I was like, okay, we're gonna have a little bit of a boss battle because you can't bring up stuff to this whole movie and then over and done with. Um, I was never afraid for the baby, right. ever, never was afraid for it. I thought Dan Aykroyd being possessed was really bizarre, and somehow they knew shooting him with their uh, their lasers would just shoot him into the painting, into oblivion forever, and save him. And then there's like a painting of all four four of them <sighs> in like Greek yeah. outfits, and I'm like, what in the world? I don't know. What in the world? I don't know. Okay. And then the movie's over. Abrupt. They just walk down the stairs, and it's like, done! I know! Roll credits. The movie just ends. It's like, okay, well, we're, okay, well we have nothing else left, so we're just going to finish. And then more more rap. More yeah, rap. And then, the yeah, rap. the original, yeah, the new theme song is back, and... <laughs> no wonder this movie bombed, technically speaking. And, th- and then the last person to be billed in the credits is Slimer. Did you notice that? No, I didn't even sit through the credits. I... S- <laughs> I sit through those nasty credits with that five-minute rap, and then the last one was Slimer, the green blob. And and it's like, and Slimer! And I'm like, he was in all of, like, ten seconds of the movie, yeah. and he gets credits. Like, and, like two scenes. And I'm like, you know what? The city loves you now, but you just wait. They're going to turn on you again. Because just like they did last time, they gave you a parade, and then they all sued you, and then they all called you hoaxes, and they ran you out, and then you were, like, so forgiving. And Yep. Alan, let's let's wrap this up. What is your rating for this movie recommendation? This movie's rough. It's uh, it's hard for me to. I wrote that in my notes. Is that okay? What did this movie do right? Because that's gonna be easier to figure out than it is to say that everything whatever whatever did wrong. It has some funny jokes. I will give it that. It there are some jokes that kind of are set up that are kind of funny, like the one where I was talking about earlier with the goo. I thought that was kind of funny until it kept going or earlier when I, I know I'd mentioned this one but when Sigourney Weaver and her baby live with Bill Murray that's kind of funny at first but then keeps going there are so many scenes and so many setups that would be almost really good and really funny if they had stopped it at an appropriate time or if the joke was complex enough for the a lot of, for that much time but they don't they're not that they're not that clever as they used to be and it's saddening because the original was so funny and so and so clever and this one is almost a waste of time i would say there's nothing significant that happens in this movie that feels like this movie needed to exist the original maybe didn't even need to exist but it at least engraved itself into the american culture and it still felt today because of the effect that it had 
Like, that's important filmmaking right there. It may not be the greatest film ever made, but it was it was influential enough that it was able to engrave itself. This one is not that. This one is annoying. It's it's boring. And 50 minutes in, I shouldn't be bored. It's Ghostbusters. They're hilarious. They're supposed to be. And so when I walked out of this movie, when I turned it off, and I was just sitting there, I was like, How, what happened? What was this movie? Nobody was given anything to do. The plot was hardly a plot at all. The message of the film, I will give it this, the message of the film was that we do need to be better people and not kind of go back to what we've been before with Vigo and stuff like that and that theme of history is going to repeat itself. But that also kind of makes me ask, what was even the point of this movie to exist in the first place? Because the I don't, I don't see one. The... There's no point for the Ghostbusters to have ever come back in the first one. And the fact that they had to bring in the Statue of Liberty and like the American Dream and things like that doesn't really help. And it's... I don't know. It's it's not good. It really isn't. I hate to have to say that. Overall, it's a disappointment, honestly. I wouldn't call it completely worthless like Hannibal. I know both of us got like not even 45 minutes in and we both shut it off but but still that's not saying much this film is still kind of egregious so for me i'm because of some of the funny jokes and some of the other things that almost made this movie bearable i'll give it a five out of ten but i'm still not going to recommend it this is not a recommend for me if you like, yeah. if if you like the first one, you might be okay with this. You m- most likely will not. I wasn't. I kind of yeah. want to know what Ghostbusters fans think of this. Honestly, I didn't like it. Five out of ten, not recommend. I am not going to keep anybody in surprise here. I'm going to go one star below Alan and give this four stars. This is it's dismal. It is a solid not recommend and. I cannot, no, a solid not recommend, don't watch this movie, it is an extreme time waster. I was a little frustrated yesterday because I was like, okay, this movie really needs to move along because I've got stuff to do (laughs) and it is really not good. So I was shocked to go from the wonderful, wonderfully hilarious, it's it's got a really fun plot, great cast of characters, uh, original Ghostbusters, and then five years later we get the crappiest sequel. That is just a massive waste of time. So I guess it does make me feel better about the remake because coming down, there's it's really not that high of a bar to get over with where the Ghostbusters franchise left it and where they, where they took it back up. So very disappointed in this movie. I was shocked. I honestly expected this movie to not be good, but I didn't expect it to be this bad. Uh, yeah, four stars out of ten. It's dismal. It's a solid not recommend. But, listeners, I hope you had fun uh, listening to us kind of rant on it and trash the movie, and uh, if you watched it too. So hopefully you had fun with that. But uh, we want to thank you again for coming back and listening uh, to Ghostbusters 2 and discussing that with us. And make sure to tune in next week because we will be wrapping up, as far as we know, I don't know, maybe there'll be another one. Hope maybe they will redeem the name Ghostbusters 2, I don't know. 
But uh, join us for Ghostbusters, the 2016 remake with the all-female cast with uh, Kristen Wiig and some of her uh, SNL co-stars. So I'm really hoping that we're going to get something better than this one. I think it would be hard not to do better than this. But anyways, we want to thank you again for joining us on our Ghostbusters retrospective series. Uh, I've had fun doing it, even though this one was bad. I still had fun kind of picking it apart with you. So, yeah. So thank you, Alan, for joining me. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter and our social media. And subscribe on iTunes or Podbean or whatever uh, podcast aggregator you're using. So you can always get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. We want to give a big thanks to uh, to all of you for just downloading the episodes and listening. Make sure to continue to share this with your friends. Uh, we love talking about movies and we love uh, sharing it with you guys. And we're just honored you all take the time to listen to us. Uh, it's a big honor. So thank you very much. And we look forward to seeing you next week with Ghostbusters. <laughs>